Great. It's wonderful to be here. It's uh, a real privilege for us to be back in Fredericton. We love this city. We love this area. We love this church. We love the meeting place. We love all that God's doing amongst you. First of all, may I say thank you so much for not just making us feel at home, but thank you for hosting uh, all the visitors. If you're visiting the city uh, as part of the group of leaders, elders and wives, pastors and leaders, why don't you just stand up? These guys have been amongst you this week. Why don't you just welcome them? And uh, it's great to see you. Thank you. It's fabulous to see people literally from one end of Canada to the other. We heard, heard from Reese and Sarah about Vancouver, but it's brilliant to uh, see uh, Rifaru from St. John's right the other side. I can't even say Newfoundland properly, but uh, somewhere over there, right towards the east. So from the east to the west, we are literally affecting this great nation. And you guys are caught up in it. It's what the fruit of is what God is doing here in the meeting place is helping churches to be established and planted. If we're not careful, we can somehow divorce the apostolic ministry, the sense of going to the nations from what God's doing in the local church. And I just want to encourage you tonight that they are both part of the same thing. What God has called you to do is to be an epicenter, like a great earthquake that starts here in the east, that starts here in this part of Canada, that starts here in New Brunswick, that starts here in Fredericton, and it affects the city. You're going to affect the city, you're going to affect all over this city, but not just this city, it's going to literally reverberate out and affect uh, province after province until the whole of Canada feels what God is doing here. So don't think that you're somehow separated from these trips that... Gary and Barb. Gary and Barb, they get to go on this trip to Vancouver. Listen, you've got an inheritance in Vancouver. You may not get to sit on the beach and uh, walk and pray like they were doing all week, but you, you get a great inheritance from that. You get a great inheritance from Joe's trip as he goes a little bit later this year up into Ontario and serves churches there in Toronto, in Alliston, in Owen Sound, and serving what God is doing across this nation. You... You, here, little old Fredericton, are bearing fruit all over the world. Literally, all over the place right now. And it's wonderful to see what God's doing. We're going to come on uh, Sunday night and hear Andrew and Janet's amazing story about church planting into Charlottetown. That's, we're going to share that story on Sunday night. It's just amazing. Something incredible happened today, so amazing that I can't tell you about it, but you'll hear about it on Sunday night if you come to Tag Team, and uh, we'll tell you all about that, because God is doing some stuff amongst us. Now, what is our motivation? I want to ask this question to you. What is your motivation for church planting? What is your motivation to go into the ends of the earth? What's your motivation to see another one planted, another one sent, another one going? See Joe go again, see Gary go again, because sometimes that can be a bit painful, can't it? Because when they go, they're not here, and we miss them. What's your motivation for that? I know there's lots of people you'd like to send, but sometimes... (laughs) But what's your motivation for this? Is it so that we can be a bigger movement? We want lots of churches in Canada. Sometimes that can be people's motivation. Well, we're four churches at the moment. It's New Frontiers. We're about six church plants happening. Well, probably seven or eight. It's hard to catch up with them, really. 
Um, yeah, what are we, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100? Is that our motivation? Is it numbers? What is our motivation for this? What stirs us to do it? Well, I'll tell you very simply what our motivation is. The love of Christ compels us. We're moved, we're motivated, we're stirred not to have more churches for ourselves. Not that we might fill Canada with new frontiers, whatever that is. But our motivation is that Jesus might be famous in this nation. And from this nation, go to the nations, making him famous all over the world. Our motivation is that the love of Christ, that he might be glorified in all the earth. Our motivation is that all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, all the worship will go to him. Our motivation is that eternity might be full of praising and worshiping people from every province, from every city, from every town, from every village across Canada and actually across the world. That's our motivation. That's what stirs us. It's not about numbers. It's not about pins in a chart. It's not about an organization. It's that Jesus might be glorified. And I'm going to speak on something tonight that you might think is a bit strange. Well, you probably think I'm a bit strange anyway, but you, I'm going to speak on having and maintaining passion for Jesus. Because unless we get this right in our hearts, unless we get this right in our movement, unless we get this right in the very center of the church, and actually, if we're not careful, we just get into works. We just get into doing stuff and we get into making ourselves feel better by our works rather than glorifying him and being motivated and stirred and empowered by him and by love for him. Now I'm going to take tonight to unfold our personal love for Jesus because that's where it starts. It doesn't start in some corporate love. It doesn't start in some just understand. It starts here in the human heart. And then on Sunday... We're going to talk about, okay, if we are freshly energized in passion for Jesus, if we are freshly stirred, what does that mean then? Well, it means we go to the ends of the earth. It actually means that we're stirred. It means that we're a mobile people. It means that we go for him. It means that we obey the Lord Jesus who said, go into all the world, all the nations, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Because we love Jesus. Because we want all the glory to go to him. Now, I'm going to refer today to a very strange book in the Bible. It's a book in the Bible that you have to be really careful about. It's a book in the Bible that you rarely hear mentioned in church. In fact, it's a book in the Bible that you rarely hear read aloud in church. In fact, it's a book in the Bible you have to be really careful how you read it out in church. It's the book in the Bible called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. We don't hear a lot about this book because it's a bit of a weird one. It doesn't mention God in that sense. It's really an erotic poem. How did that get in the Bible? I mean, where did that one slip into the censorship? I mean, it's a bit weird. I mean, it really is. So it's, a, it's a celebration of a, the sexual love of King Solomon for his shepherdess bride. It's a love poem of a man to a woman expressing passion and love and a little bit embarrassing desire, especially for us in the West, especially for any Brits in the room. You know, you you Canadians are so much freer and looser than us Brits, but we're a bit stiff upper lipped and a bit nervous about these things. 
And right now, the Brits in this room are getting, ooh, they're not quite sure about it. It's a very dangerous thing to speak on. But if we get passion for Christ, love for Jesus, right in the church, it will fuel mission to the ends of the earth. It will also affect every aspect of society in Fredericton, in this town. It will affect the education of these great universities that we're in. It will affect the culture and commerce, the arts, the media, the business life. If the light of Christ burns brightly in a city, the effect shines in every home. The effect shines in every strata. The effect shines in every area of life. So we're passionate to get back to Christ, to get back to him. Now the Bible is, the story of the Bible is full of the relationship between God and his church or God and his people. Gary, brilliantly at the end of the worship, probably not knowing what I'm speaking on at all because I haven't shared it with him, spoke about our intimacy with God and that being so important. And it really is all about the most intimate relationship. Probably the most intimate human relationship is the relationship of a man to a woman in marriage. And the Bible amazingly uses that relationship to get our attention between our relationship with God. Let me give you some scripture for this in case you think I'm a bit flaky. Isaiah 54 verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Jeremiah 3 verse 14. Return, O faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. And of course, in the New Testament, we hear that we are nonetheless the bride of Christ. It says in Romans chapter 4, 7, verse 4, Now you are married to the one who's risen from the dead. That's the relationship we have. We're married to Christ. We're the bride of Christ. That's who we are. This beautiful love relationship is now birthed in our hearts and we're his and he is mine. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. I promised you to one husband who is Christ that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. That's Paul's apostolic commission, his apostolic desire. I've promised you to Christ. I'm going to prepare you as a bride for eternity. I'm going to get you ready because actually what is eternity about? We get this amazing glimpse into heaven in the book of Revelation. It says this in chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. That's what we're heading towards, folks. We're heading towards a celebration of this beautiful intimacy with God, a celebration, a consummation of this beautiful relationship with Christ and his church. Now, we need to get ready for that. Paul says, I'm going to prepare you as a bride getting dressed for her husband. And brides, they just, they take loads of time to get ready. Have you ever noticed that? I remember going to the wedding of Lou and Nathan Fellingham. Uh, Some of you know Dave and Rosie Fellingham very well. They've been key instrumental players in helping this church to connect to New Frontiers. I remember going to their wedding and she was 45 minutes late for her wedding because she was getting herself ready. And actually the truth, Nathan was getting himself ready as well. But she was getting us. And brides go to extraordinary. They don't just turn up in ripped jeans and tatty t-shirts you know, hair all out of place and go, well, you have to love me like this. 
you're going to love me like this in the morning, you might as well love me like this. No, they, they, go to great, they go to great lengths to prepare themselves beautifully for their husband. That's We are, as leaders and pastors and those who are concerned for the church, we're preparing a bride. For, we're not just saying we're, we're the best church in town, or we'll, we'll be better than those. We'll be better. No, it's not about comparing to, it's about preparing the bride for him. It's about bringing glory and honor for him. And I don't know a better allegory in scripture than the Song of Solomon. Now, some people say there's been a massive debate on the internet the last couple of years, if you've listened to it, between uh, Mark Driscoll and John Piper about this book, with Driscoll pretty typically saying it's just about sex, you know. And uh, Driscoll, um, sorry, Driscoll, did I say Piper? Driscoll said that. Uh, Piper said, well, I think it's a little bit more than that, you know. And there's been this debate around. Now, church leaders right through the centuries have always seen this book as allegorical towards Christ and the church. In fact, even before the church, Jewish writers, rabbis, and those who studied the Jewish early scriptures that we would call the Old Testament, said, that it was allegorical of the love of God for his people. And then down through church history, great people that you probably would have heard of, people like C.H. Spurgeon, people like Watchman Nee, people like Hudson Taylor, have used this book as an image of Christ for the church. John Piper said this, centuries of biblical scholars have construed that the Song of Solomon is a story about Christ and the church. Now, even if that doesn't convince you, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pause to genuflect. (laughs) The doctor, he, the greatest preacher probably that London ever produced since Spurgeon of the last century, the doctor said this, the Song of Solomon is... If you've ever heard him, he speaks of it like that. The Song of Solomon is a mine of spiritual treasure. It is one of the most exquisite expositions of the relationship between the believer and the Lord found anywhere in the scriptures. So if it's good enough for the doctor, if it's good enough for Spurgeon, then I would say it's good enough for us. Now, if you just say, okay, I agree with Driscoll, it is just about sex, it's just about an intimate relationship between a man and a woman. It's just about marriage. Okay, let me agree with you and say, even if it is just about marriage, the New Testament gives us license to say that marriage is an example of the relationship between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, verse 30, For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be devoted to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, says Paul, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So even if you go along the Driscollian line, I would like to say you can use this book to celebrate Christ and the church because it's about the intimacy of marriage. Now, why don't you turn to it, if you can find it. It's easy to find Psalms in the Bible, kind of the middle of the Old Testament. Go forward from Psalms, you'll find Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, and then you'll find that little-known book, The Song of Solomon. If you go a little bit further, you'll hit Isaiah. Okay, so Song of Songs. Now, it's a play. 
You've got to know the genre of Scripture. You've got to know what we're looking at with Scripture. There's all sorts of writings in Scripture, whether it be apocalyptic writing, whether it be poetry, whether it be prose, whether it be prophetic writing, whether it be historical documents, whether it's letters. And every genre is different. You've got to know what the genre is. This is a, this is a poem. I love poem, I grant you, but nevertheless a poem. Solomon allegedly wrote 1,005 of these. I mean, I wonder what the others are like. I wonder what the census ruled out. And it's headed up in the NIV. I'm sorry, I'm not spiritual enough to be using the, uh, uh, what do we call them? The ESV. <laughs> You're really spiritual if you use that. But I'm still on the NIV, my old battered 1986 version of it. And it's headed up in the NIV, three parts. The beloved, the friends, and the lover. That's helpful. That's actually not in the text. The text doesn't say that, but it it implies it very much. The beloved is us. It's the bride or the church, the beloved ones. That's who we are. The lover is Solomon, the king, or Christ, I'd like to present to you. And the friends are like this chorus line that sort of pop along, come up with a few sentences, and then go away again just to give some punctuation to the whole thing. So it starts with this amazing crime. We're only going to look at a couple of verses tonight, then we're going to refer, refer to it again on Sunday when we're talking about motivation, and we're talking about propulsion. Ow. But right now, we're going to open it up at chapter 1, Solomon's Song of Songs. Headed up the beloved. Who's the beloved? Us. We are. The church. And this is our script then. This is what we're saying. This is what the beloved are saying. And it's a little saucy. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then we will rejoice as the friends come on. And we will delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. It starts with this amazing cry of desire from the beloved to the lover. And I'd like to suggest that God is stirring fresh passion in our hearts for Christ. It kind of worries me if we have to do that as pastors. Because actually, he is doing it. It's his responsibility. The Spirit comes, the Father comes, and he stirs in our heart fresh passion for Christ. Anne and I have had the privilege of presenting or being involved in preparation of many young couples getting married, and never in all our 30 years of ministry, never have we had to sit down a young couple and say this, we just notice that you're not passionate enough for her. We just notice that you're not passionate enough for him. Could you please touch him a bit more? Could you please be a bit more cuddly in the back row? Could you please you know, display a bit more affection. Could you, you know, come on. Normally it's the other way around. Normally we try to pour buckets of cold water on them and say, wait, 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 not yet. Not, calm down, get your hands off her. Right, stop, stop, stop. Not, you know, because there's this passion 
growing. That is natural in the, that is, it's natural what God has done. And it's supernatural here. What comes naturally first, then is seen supernaturally. God is stirring in us passion for Christ. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. In one of the Hebrew words for worship is the word proskuneo, which means to kiss towards or to kiss the hand of in worship. It's a wonderful, reverent kissing towards. One of the things that worries me a little bit about us, our movement, our style of churches, is that we've got very anthemic in our worship. We've got very bold, declarative, celebratory, which is wonderful. I love it. I love those songs we're singing tonight. But if you're not careful, they can lack a certain amount of intimacy. They can lack a certain amount of kissing towards. They can lack that. They can be very declarative, can be very moving, but somehow can lack the simplicity of some of the early songs that we used to sing. Now, I'm not appealing to going back and singing some of that rubbish. You know, some of it was really bad musically constructed, but there was a simplicity and an openness and an honesty and an open-heartedness that I think somehow and sometimes we lack and we miss in our great anthemic praise songs. And I believe God is stirring us. It was interesting tonight. He kept coming back to it tonight. The prophetic kept coming back. The song that Chris brought, the tongue, the interpretation, the prophecy, what Gary brought, it kept coming back to intimacy. Kept bringing us back to that. And that's what spiritual gifts so often do. Bring us back to an intimate relationship with Christ. Now people say to them, men aren't very good at this. Men aren't very good at displaying passion. Men aren't very good. It's, you know, women, that's a women thing. People say that. I mean, they're stupid, but they say that. Women, you have to get used to the fact that you're a son of God. We have to get used to the fact that we're in love with Christ as the bride. But men, you look at men on the football terrace or the hockey, what do you call the, the ring? You know, they don't go, oh, jolly good show, my team. Oh, and well done, the other fellow on the other team as well. They're, they're, they're passionate. They're, they're really intimate, actually. With, you know, and then, have you ever seen drunk men? Uh, but you probably don't get that in Fredericton here, because it's, kind of te- it's a kind of temperate town, isn't it? You know, you, maybe a half, a half a cider occasionally or something. But, you know, have you ever seen a drunk man? I, 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 I love you. I love you. You're, you're my best friend. No, I'm the bartender, you know. <laughs> and the, but, but, you know, something loosens up. Listen, God, by his spirit, spoke through Paul and said, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Now, why did he use that kind of analogy? Because there's something about drunkenness that loosens up someone, and the spirit does the same. Loosens us up, loosens our emotions, loosens who we are. So that we're more intimate with Jesus. God is stirring in our hearts fresh passion for him. Your love more delightful than wine. Now, you might say, well, I don't find wine that delightful. We don't know Gary very well then, do you? <coughs> and Bob, I mean, <laughs> they like their drop of red. 
Wine's delightful. But you might be, oh, I don't drink wine, I'm a teetotal, that's fine. But, but what is it for you? What is the most delightful thing for you? That relationship, that sporting moment, that fashion, that piece of music, that holiday, that area of recreation, that thing that you love to do on your day off or your holiday. Oh, I love to do that. I wish, if I wish I was doing it right now. Jesus is more delightful and far more satisfying than all of that. Now, none of that is bad. I didn't use any sinful things. They're all good things. I'm a Christian hedonist called to enjoy life. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including red wine. (laughs) To be enjoyed, to be used, not abused. But he is more delightful. He is more lovely. He is more beautiful than all those things that stir us. And I want to bring a challenge to you. One of my favorite books in the New Testament is the book of Ephesians. I love the revelation that Paul has to the church in Ephesus. I love the passion they have for Christ, the love they have for him. But Jesus also writes a letter to them a little bit later. Paul writes a letter. You didn't know there was two letters to the Ephesians, did you? But there are. In the book of Revelation, Jesus writes a letter to them. And he says to this church that's known such intimacy, that's known such power, that's known such passion, that's known Christ, he says, you've lost your first love. You've moved away from that. And I fear for us sometimes as a movement of churches that even as we inspire the mission, that we've lost the initial passion that started the mission. That we've lost the initial passion for Christ. That we've lost the initial relationship with him. And I believe tonight he's stirring us and calling us back to that. So how do you get this passion? Well, this passion comes from knowing his passion for you. This is a great verse of the Bible. We love because... He, you know the Bible, it's very good. We love, we have passion. We love because he first loved us. He's the great initiator of this, not us. It's not, now I better stir this. Come on, stir it more, be more passionate. Come on, Jeremy, come on, you've got to do it more. Beat myself up a bit, a bit more stoicism, a bit more hard work and legalism, if it's if, so I can somehow produce it. No, we love because he first loved us. Mike Bickle, who wrote a book called Passion for Jesus, I read that uh, probably 15 years ago. He wrote this in that book. When we understand the affection that God has for us, it awakes our affection back to him. Passion for Jesus simply comes from seeing his passion for us. And sometimes we can be so unaware of that. It was so beautiful to hear Reese bring that lovely interpretation of the tongue, all about the favor of God, all about the love of God, all about the gaze of God. It could have been straight out of Son of Solomon, actually. It was beautiful in its appreciation. Now, if we believe in spiritual gifts, and I do with all my heart, then that was an interpretation of what Anne was singing about. She was sick. That was her deep cry. Oh, Lord, your gaze is on me. 
Oh, Lord, you love me. Oh, Lord, you're for me. And I believe that the Spirit of God is crying that out in every heart here. You just don't know it yet. You just are blocking it and not aware of it. But actually, as you start to sing in the Spirit, as you start to worship Him, suddenly your heart is free and experiencing the love and the touch of God. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know what you think of him. Somehow, I'm, I, this is somebody actually said this to me once. They said, I know God loves me, but I just don't, I just think he doesn't like me. You think, huh? And some people think, it's like he has to love me. It's like he's kind of made this covenantal contractual agreement. And somehow you got in. <clears throat> it wasn't meant for you, but you got in. And uh, he has to love you now. It's like a contract. It's like, you know, you get one of those coupons out of the, out of the, out of the newspaper or you, you get a coupon sent through the internet and you take it into the restaurant and they go, oh, yeah, we have to honor that deal, don't we? We, we forgot about that two for one. We forgot about that. And, uh, oh, yeah, we have to do it then. You know, somehow you've said, oh, blood of Joel, oh, yeah, blood, blood of Joel, oh, yeah. I suppose we have to do that, don't we? No. Listen, he is not disapproving of you. He's not sitting there in heaven going... Naughty people. When he's looking at you, when the gaze of Almighty God is upon you, when the eyes of fire of the Lord Jesus are upon you, they are not disapproving eyes. They are eyes of love and passion and mercy and grace coming towards you. In fact, if, you could, if we could lift the veil, if we could somehow see into heaven, if we could somehow see what God is doing right now, he's not looking down like this. He's dancing. He's rejoicing. He's laughing, spinning round with great delight over you lot, over funny old you, over weird you, over odd you. He thinks you are delightful. That you are absolutely amazing. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And the word rejoice there is to spin around with delirious delight. That's what he's doing. He's not going, he's going, wow, they're beautiful. Wow, they're lovely. Wow, they're amazing. That's what he thinks of you. Now, I said you have to be careful. With the Song of Solomon, let me flip over to chapter 4 and be very careful how I read this. Because there are certain body parts mentioned and alluded to. I've never seen people turn so quickly to the Bible. <clears throat> I once uh, spoke for about 15 years ago, uh, a young preacher that I was uh, on one of my uh, first foreign trips, actually. If it was the first time I'd, I'd been on a kind of mission trip, and uh, a guy asked me to this trip, and I had the privilege of sharing a room with Roger By, my friend Roger uh, from Cockermouth in Cumbria. He was from uh, Seven Oaks in Kent in those days. It's kind of got to know Roger sharing this room, and I was asked to speak to the young people. That's what you used to get in those days if you were kind of an up and coming young guy, do something for the young people. And uh, I, I was asked to speak to the young people. In Mexico it was. And I thought, well, the young people, 
let's do something from the Song of Solomon. Let's have a bit of fun with them. Let's do that. But I'm kind of aware that culture could be difficult or different in Mexico to England. And I'm a bit cheeky in my humor. I was even worse then. This is the toned down. This is the, the, this is the more sanctified version. You, you, you would have really enjoyed the other one. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I, and I said to Roger, do you got to pray with me? Because I'm going to kind of read some stuff about the Song of Solomon. And I'm just nervous. I don't want to offend these Mexican kids or their Mexican parents. And uh, just pray with me. And he was very gracious. He did. I said, you know, it's a very, it's a sensitive chapter I'm going to read out. I'm just going to be really careful. And uh, so he prayed with me. And then I got up to speak, just like I did now. And I hadn't looked in my Bible since we prayed. And then a couple of hours later, I was up there. got up, just like I did tonight opened my Bible to preach, and there was one of those yellow post-it notes. Do you have those? Those stick-on notes. And all it said is, don't mention the boobies. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to say that here? I've said it anyway. And of course, what is the one thing that goes through your mind? And every other word, I thought, no, no, don't say it. Anyway. Let me read you a few verses without mentioning the boobies. This is chapter 4. Listen, listen. This is the lover speaking. Who's the lover? Christ Jesus. That's right. This is the lover speaking. This is what he's speaking over you. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Doesn't sound like he's kind of putting up with you, does it? Doesn't sound like he's disapproving. Verse 7, all beautiful are you, my darling. There's no flaw in you. There's no flaw in you. So you tend to think of yourselves as flawed and canked and difficult. His assessment of you, we'll come back to this in a moment, but his assessment of you is there's no flaw in you. Verse 9, you've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Verse 12, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride, a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. This is what he thinks of you. He thinks you are beautiful. Now, he says you're clean. It's interesting. There's no flaw in you. My perfect one. Now, this is not love is blind. This is not some divine rose-tinted spectacles looking at you, kind of like if you kind of, you know, you can imagine the, the son saying to the father, well, they're quite nice, really. Like if you squint your eyes and get back two billion miles, you know, they're not that bad. Have you seen them close up? No, he's he who knows all things. He who sees right into the heart says, there's no flaw in you, my beautiful one. Do you know why? Because he's made you new. He's made you clean. He's made you perfect. He's renewed you. If you're a Christian here tonight, there is no flaw in you. You are perfect. You are clean. You are acceptable just as you are, even in this housed old funny flesh, which does have a few issues, which does have a few kanks and flaws. But you, the real you, the born again, new-hearted, new-spirited you, is clean 
and perfect and no flaw. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Hebrews 10 verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And to say I'm canked, to say I'm flawed, to say that this creation that he's put in, renewed within me is somehow dirty, is somehow not right, is to say the blood of Jesus wasn't efficient for me, wasn't enough to wash all my sin away, wasn't enough to cleanse me holy, make me anew. He has cleansed you. You are clean. And he delights in what he's done in you. He celebrates He dances. He glorifies what he's done in you. He sees you as clean. And he sees you as beautiful. He really does. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. I mean, I find this amazing. My Trinitarian understanding of the character and sovereignty and personality of God is that he is totally self-sufficient. Father, Son, Spirit, dwelling together in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship, needing no other to satisfy, needing no other thing, perfect in who they are together. And yet, out of his sovereignty, out of his self-sufficiency, willingly, beautifully desiring you, choosing you. Not to fill some hole in his divine heart. There's a man-shaped hole in the heart of God. No. But willingly, freely, totally freely choosing you and delighting in you. Out of all humanity, he's picked you. 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 Why? Because he loves you and delights in you. So many people today feel rejected. So many people today feel parents, school teachers, employers, friends have let them down and feel a sense of rejection, feel a sense of being let down. Listen, the answer to rejection is acceptance. Knowing that a father in heaven accepts you and a son in heaven loves you enough to want to be married to you for eternity. Isn't that Wonderful. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that stir within you? Fresh passion for him. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. I mean, that's kind of a weird thing for the Son of God to be saying to you. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. With one glance of your eyes, turn your eyes away from me, it says. They overwhelm me. I mean, this is poetic. I understand that. He who could not be conquered by the satanic army that came against him at the cross. He who could not be tempted and was not, he did never, he never yielded to the enemy who never gave an inch. He who conquered all is overwhelmed by your beauty, is won by your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that majestic? Isn't that glorious? Doesn't that give you a sense of value and a sense of the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He thinks that you are beautiful. And when my thinking 
and God's thinking coming to a clash, I know who has to change their mind. Me, and it's called repentance. A change of mind. I say, yes, Lord, I'm wrong about myself. I choose to believe what you've said about me is true. Now let me kind of bring this in for a landing, because I believe God is stirring in us a fresh devotion to Jesus, a fresh love for him. Interesting, Gary prophesied right at the beginning of this meeting that God is expecting some stuff from us. And God expects devotion from us, not out of a legalistic, you must, you know, if you love me, obey my commandments. I don't think he says that. I think he says, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, align yourself. If you love me, come back to me. If you love me, devote yourself to me. Give yourself to me again. If you love me. Now, we've heard that he loves us so much and we love because he first loved us. Therefore, it should affect us. It should affect our devotion to him. It should affect our relationship with him. Jack Deere says this, you cannot love someone or have passion for someone that you don't know. The more we know him, the more we'll love him. I want to encourage you to get to know Jesus. You might think that's a strange thing to say, but I think many Christians don't know him. Many Christians know they're saved. They know the benefits of a wonderful salvation, but don't know a wonderful saviour. He is wonderful. He is glorious. He is amazing. And he wants you to get to know him as a person. Not to earn his favor. You have that. Not to earn his love. You have that. But to celebrate his favor and to celebrate his love. I'll just give you, as I end here, some practical ways that you can do this. Three practical ways. Number one, get to know him in the word. This has been given that we might know him. This is written that we might know him. This is written to reveal God to us, to show who he is and his love. To me, it's like a love letter. He's writing this to you. I remember when Anne and I were first engaged. It was way before internet, way before email, way before texting, way before the pen and paper. Oh, no, it wasn't that. We had pen and paper. And uh, we used to write pen and paper every day to one another. I was uh, in Bible, uh, doing a Bible year of training in Hove, uh, a place near Brighton. And uh, Anne used to write to me every day. It's, you know, rather nice, isn't it? And uh, every day I used to wake up and think, I wonder what she's written today. I used to write as well, by the way, in case you think it was just one-sided. And I can remember waking up in the morning thinking, wow, what's she written today? Running downstairs and getting the post. That was in the days when the post used to come early in the morning. It doesn't come that like now in the UK. It comes in about the middle of the day. But I can remember getting the letter, opening it up, reading it, checking she hadn't dumped me, you know, checking it wasn't a dear John letter, and then reading it and rereading it and reading Listen, this is a love letter. This is expressing the heart and love of God. Rarely a day goes by when he doesn't speak to me from his word. Because that's my attitude to it. 
that he'll speak to me, that it's a love letter. All of scripture is useful. All of it can be used. He can even speak through some of the tough books and does. I want to encourage you. Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that Bible study when he opened every scripture, it says, concerning him. And they said, it says in Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Yes, is the answer they were. And they can burn within you day by day. Now, let me give you a head start. Here's some chapters to get you stirred about Jesus. John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. There may be a bit of a clue in the fact that it all comes first when the apostles write. The first thing they write about is love for Christ. The first thing they write about is the glory and the majesty and the wonder and the incredibleness of our Lord Jesus. Get into these. Read them. Allow them to stir your heart again to Jesus. Read books about him. Read other books. I haven't got time now, but I I love each year to read a new book about Jesus. Read, go ask Joe for some good ones. Ask him for a list. I could give you them, but ask Joe. Read about Jesus. Study about Jesus. Get to know him in the word. Secondly, get to know him in his body. See, this is not some isolationist thing. This is not some private religion, just me and my Jesus, privately. Actually, we get to know him in the body. Once I heard a guy called Bill Beckham speak. He said this, Christ is able to manifest himself to me in a greater and fuller way when I am with others. I am not sufficient in myself to receive the full revelation of Christ. To experience Christ in the fullest way, I need you and others to live with me in community. See, it's when a tongue comes and then a spiritual gift of interpretation comes, we get caught up in that. It's when a prophetic word comes. It's when somebody shares their insight in the scriptures. and You go, I've never seen that. I've never appreciated that. It's when a new song comes and we get caught up with it. It's when someone preaches the word of God. It's when we teach and encourage one another in the body. Don't get isolated. The enemy picks off isolated people and whispers lies to them. All the time whispering lies, saying they think this of you, they think that of you, and he's trying to pick you off. He's trying to isolate. There are people here tonight who the enemy is trying to isolate. He's trying to pick you off. He's trying to separate you from the body. Don't get isolated. Pull right into the body. It's in the body, in the community, that you experience Christ and get to know Christ. This is what Jesus said, when two or three meet. And it's hard to have a meeting without two or three. When two or three meet in my name, there I turn up. There am I in the midst. You want to know Jesus came tonight. I don't know if you met him. I don't know if you experienced him. I did. I experienced his touch. He was here. But if I'd been here on my own without any of this stuff, without any of you, just sitting on that chair there, I don't know that I'd have experienced him in the same way. Because I needed you and the body and the temple that we are 
to be filled by him. You see, when we come together, we are a living temple. And when you understand that, bricks, living stones being built together, full of the Spirit, we experience his presence, which is my last and final of these three points. It's in the Word, it's in the body, and it's by the Spirit. It's when the Spirit comes and fills the temple that we really experience him. Ephesians 2, verse 22. Consequently, you're members of God's house, built on a foundation, an apostolic and prophetic foundation, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. In him, this whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. When we come together like this, something supernatural happens. We become the dwelling of the spirit. And the beautiful thing, one of the beautiful ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals Christ to us. He brings the things of Jesus to us. See, when we lived through those early years of the charismatic renewal in the 1970s, when we first started to experience things of the Spirit, people said this, will you get weird when the Spirit comes on you? Now, a few people did get weird. But actually, we didn't get weird. We got to know Jesus more. We got to know his word more. The Spirit came and taught us. He didn't move us away from the main and the plain. He brought us to the main and the plain. He brought us to Christ. He brought us to the scriptures. He made these things alive for us. It's why I'm passionate with all my heart that we get filled, baptized and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Because firstly, we know him that way. The Spirit reveals more of Christ. Now, he propels us onto mission as well. We'll hear about that on Sunday. But I don't get filled just to get propelled. I get filled that I might know him. Romans 5, verse 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Why do you want the spirit, capital S, the spirit of wisdom and revelation? So that you might know him. Now I want to end tonight by appealing to you. I love this church. I love the meeting place. I love all you're doing. I love your outreach to the poor and the needy, the street work. I love that you're influencing universities. I love that the rich and the poor can find a home and a place here. I love what you're doing evangelistically. I love what you're doing missionally. I love what you're doing apostolically. I love that churches are being planted out from you. But most of all, I love the fact that you love Jesus. And I want to stir you tonight to come back to him. I want to stir you tonight to be filled again with the Spirit and that fresh passion for Jesus 
for the Son of God might be birthed in you as a bride would to her bridegroom, as a lover would. I want to call you forward this evening and say we want to pray for you in the body, in the context of the community here. We want to lay hands on you and say be filled with the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit to go, but be empowered by the Spirit to know first, to know Jesus, to love him. If you've been stirred tonight, if you feel that we've put our finger on a few things in your life, you need the Holy Spirit's filling. Why don't you, even now, just start to get up and come to the front without any... I mean, I could get the band up. I probably will get the band up. (laughs) But without any kind of mood music... We don't need to manipulate anyone here tonight because you're a hungry people. You're a thirsty people. You want it. If you want to be prayed for, why don't you come and we'll pray for you. There's going to be lots of you coming. I would love the band to be playing something so that we can handle this wisely. I would love it for all those who are part of the ministry team here, who are leaders here, who are small group leaders or part of who've been trained for these things, for you to come as well and start to pray. I'd love for any and every one of our guests who are leaders in other churches, for you to come as well and pray. And I'm believing as we lay hands on these dear people, we'll impart something of the Spirit of God and fresh fire. Fresh passion will be birthed in our hearts and fire will go from here, I believe, right across Canada and even to the ends of the earth. Let's worship Jesus. If you want to come as well, please don't feel intimidated by this. Please don't feel that we're kind of separating people. We're just saying, come. Come and get filled. Come and know Jesus again. Come and get fresh passion and fire tonight from him. Let's worship him.